everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. Your, oh my God, Spike is back! Spike is back! Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. <laughs> There's really nowhere else you could go with that this week. No. That's the intro that, that was destined and foretold since the dawn of time. Spike is back! Yay! This week on the show, we discuss Lover's Walk, the eighth episode of season three. And I'm going to break our usual format here just to frame this discussion just a little bit. We've been talking on and off since the very beginning of Dusted about the very best episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, about this hypothetical, theoretical top five, and about the fact that no matter how good the episodes up until now have been, none of them have cracked that nominal top five. This, I think, is our first serious contender. It is absolutely a contender. I thought when I went back to it, I, I felt about this episode the way that I feel about a lot of the Monsters of the Week that I don't like, where I just associate it with the Monsters of the Week. And if I don't like the Monster of the Week, then I think I don't like the episode. I go back in. The episode's great. So I was kind of expecting that because I associated this episode with Spike, and I love Spike so much, <laughs> that all of my Spike love, it kind of drifted into the rest of the episode, and that maybe it wasn't going to be quite as good as I remember it. Um, after watching it, I have to say, Better even than I remember it. Tighter, yeah. well-structured, great character work. I love this episode. It's it's a really strong piece yeah. of work. I, I can think of two minor quibbles, mm-hmm. uh, one of which is deliberate and purposeful, so really has no excuse, but we'll <laughs> talk about that much later. But it is a fine and finely crafted piece of work. Yeah. And that's all the more surprising when you consider that this was written by Dan Weber. If you don't recognize that name, dear listener, don't worry about it. It's because he only wrote two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was Slayer. a pinch hitter. This is the first of two. The second is <laughs> The Zeppo. Yeah. An episode we don't normally foreshadow the episodes that we're going to talk lot, about. Right. But we've mentioned The Zeppo before because it is one of your all-time favorites. I love a bizarro world. Dan Weber <laughs> can can write the hell out of an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he that's for sure. Really? He did great. And the only thing I can think of is that maybe he had other stuff that he was going to do. I don't know why they didn't just read Lover's Walk and offer him a staff position right there. You'd uh, think so, right? But who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this episode also directed by David Seymour. This is his fourth and final Buffy the Vampire Slayer directorial outing. He previously directed Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, the second part of What's My Line, and the late lamented Go Fish. Yes. Though, I should say, none of the problems with Go Fish were directorial were, yes. in nature. He's He's been a, a solid journeyman director Absolutely. for Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer. I think that this is by far his strongest strongest piece of work. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really nicely directed. There are some beautifully composed shots. And some of the fight choreography in particular in mm-hmm. this episode, particularly the fight choreography on that that wide open downtown right. Sunnydale mm-hmm. set, mm-hmm. is particularly good. When he's juggling three simultaneous, you know, choreographed fights, Yes, it, it, it really pops. It, it's extremely vibrant. Um, so it's really great to see. And of course, he gets to play with Spike, who can lean a little more on the fourth wall than yeah. any of the other characters, you know, Xander and Oz right. included. Mm-hmm. Spike can reference his own existence within the fiction yes. to a beautiful degree. And, and David Seymour really celebrates that. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our beat-by-beat breakdown, one final piece of framing, I guess, and that relates to the title. This title, Lover's Walk, contains no apostrophe. Uh-huh. It is neither a single lover's walk nor a plural lover's walk. It's just declarative. Yes. It's it's not a descriptive title, which makes it really sad <laughs> when you see that it's just a thesis statement. Because that's what lovers do. This is the yes. end of every relationship, lover's mm-hmm. walk. Oh, it... it, it it bears a certain weight, yeah. um, and we'll really close out this episode in a very strong and purposeful narrative space that speaks thematically to that 
title. We'll get there in due course, though. For now, let's begin our beat-by-beat breakdown. We open outside Sunnydale High, where Willow is panicking about her SAT results. Xander comforts her, and it's just a sweet romantic moment between two young people in love. Two young people who admittedly, unfortunately, happen to be in relationships with other sweet young people (laughs) in love. Cordelia, we learn, has some experience covering up her dizzying intellect, which has been my headcanon for at least the last two seasons. Of course. And we also learn to no one's surprise that Oz's sarcastic voice and normal voice are basically interchangeable. Mm -hmm. They may, in fact, just be one voice. It's entirely (laughs) possible. Can you give us a brief, you know, American perspective on SATs? Oh, okay. SATs, for those of you who are not part of this whole, like, American high school experience, SATs are the standardized tests that you take uh, during your junior and senior year. You take PSATs during junior year, SATs during senior year, so that you can have these, basically, this just number that represents how smart you are, uh, or at least how well you take a standardized test. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and those are the numbers that you use to get into college. So your your SAT scores uh, greatly decide your, your future. Right. And there's a verbal component and a math component? Yeah, essentially language and math. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So Willow scores 740 on her verbal component. Yes. Buffy scores a unified 1430. Right. Which, if we assume that Willow did as well on her math component as she did on her language, language component would give her a score of 1480. Yeah. I think probably, judging by the fact that Will is disappointed in her verbal score, she probably did (laughs) more. Yes. (laughs) She probably achieved more on the math component. Mm -hmm. But those are very high scores. Those are incredibly high scores. Those are kind of scores that would get you at that time to, like, now it's, like, 2,500 is your top, is your ceiling, I think, something like that, 2,200. But at that time, 1,600 was the absolute highest score you could get. And very rarely did anybody actually get a 1,600. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's a really great sequence, though, as we have these these points of comparison mm-hmm. between all of our, our major players here. And I, I, I just love that Cordelia's smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that that's played off. And I love that it's acknowledged that this isn't a, a new event. She's not exceeding herself in the way that Buffy is exceeding herself. Exactly. Cordelia's just really smart. Yes. And very good at standardized tests. Yes. And, and tests very well. There yes, are some people that standardized tests are just made for. <laughs> Oz suggests a double date to celebrate, apparently forgetting whose name is in the title of the show, buddy. (laughs) Xander is enthused and apparently misses that Cordelia isn't so much. Buffy arrives looking shell-shocked. Somehow, someway, she scored 1430. Now she has a future. Now she has options. She can, as Cordelia says, leave and never come back. (laughs) But, you know, in a good way. After all, what kind of moron would want to come back to Sunnydale? (laughs) Ah, man, they just finished rebuilding that sign. (laughs) It is such a heavy-handed setup (laughs) that it relies upon two things. It relies upon the perfect uh, recreation of the opening of Schoolheart. Yes. And James Masters' peerless (laughs) performance when he slumps out of the car. Oh, man. If not for that, it would almost feel too heavy-handed. Because when you shine a light that yes. that bright on mm-hmm. something, when you, you know, you have every 
every possible fanfare <laughs> just ready. If you fail to deliver, it's going to yeah. feel hollow and disappointing. Oh, but it's but so wonderful, especially because the beginning of School Hard, you have him stomping out. He's in control. He's dangerous. And in this one, he pours out of his car, just completely <laughs> wasted and so vulnerable. And I love it. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. We cut from that to the credits. And when we return, we are in the burned out factory set. Hey, he still had the burned out factory set laying around. Isn't well, that there great? are a lot of empty factories just lying around Sunnydale. I love that he returns to that specific oh, one, though. Of course. This isn't Kakistos's, yeah. you know, empty warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't an empty warehouse that we've used this season. Yeah. This is that specific This was set. the space, the last space where he and Drusilla were happy yeah. together. Yeah. He calls out for Drusilla. He is heartbroken that she left him, and he smashes one of her abandoned dolls in Retribution. In the halls of Sunnydale High, meanwhile, Xander defends the classiness of bowling as a post-SAT celebration, but Xander is distracted by the revelation that he is somehow worthy of a place on Cordelia's locker door. This is a big moment for him. (laughs) We really see, I I think at least that this episode puts into sharp relief how far Xander has come Mm -hmm. as a, you know, desirable guy. Yeah. We've really downplayed the geeky elements of his character that we saw back in season one and even through most of season two well i mean the thing is like his he even dresses like an adult yeah his geeky nerdery (laughs) like the idea that that he that the women in you know sunnydale high would not find him attractive has never really played well for me it's it's like being it's like that informed quality where everybody says like oh no she's really smart she's so smart she's so incredibly smart and then the character acts really stupid here we have oh he no he's geeky everybody thinks he's a total tool nobody likes him um (laughs) And yet, incredibly good-looking, incredibly charismatic, funny, smart, quick, brave. Um, Whatever Xander's, you know, detractions may be, they are not the kind of thing that would keep girls from just swooning. No, you need to backfill in something pretty serious. You need to backfill in that, like, on his first day in in freshman year, he peed his pants. There needs to be, like, some major kind of social Even so, with that kind of, like, charisma (laughs) and humor and, and just physical beauty... I don't, it's, I wow. never buy it. I you never buy it. You are yourself right I now. Think, no, Nicholas Brendan is a hot dude. I think it's really hard to not buy him no, as. He absolutely is. They do go out of their way to make him a little more awkward and yeah. certainly to dress him more awkwardly. And, in and the they'll first do and that a little seasons. bit more as time goes by yeah, too. We had a similar thing with, with yeah. Willow too. Yeah. Uh-huh. But by this point, no, he is, he is showing up and he is bringing the sexy every day yeah, at school. Absolutely. That is just how he rolls at this point. <laughs> but all the same, it's a great moment. To yeah. realize how important he is to Cordelia. Yeah. It's nice that we take the time to frame that mm-hmm. so that we can, you know, completely destroy him at the end of the episode. Well, yeah, that's pretty much... Or at least he can completely when... destroy himself at the <laughs> let end me of just, the episode. For anybody who hasn't watched Buffy before, let me just let you know, if anybody's ever happy, it's just not going to last. <laughs> if there is ever a moment where somebody's like, oh, how wonderful, you really love me, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Oz and Willow show up and Cordelia acquiesces. It's bowling time. Oz gives Willow a witch-shaped Pez dispenser. This is their version of that same scene. She's touched and laments that she doesn't have anything to give him. Yeah, you do, he says charmingly and walks away. And she really does. She does. It's, It's betrayal. It's it's a big bag of betrayal. She bought the economy sized bag of betrayal, but she does at Costco. Absolutely, that's where I get my betrayal. Well, you know, if you're going to buy your betrayal, <laughs> exactly, you go off brand. The savings that you get for buying it in volume, it's just crazy. It, it's really worth okay, it. Yeah. Th- now, there's this moment too where Oz looks at her and says, "Yeah, you do." And the thing is, from <laughs> yes. any other teenage boy, no, I would read no, that as a sexual too. invitation. Yep, it is. 
from Oz, it is this genuine, it's your smile. Like, honestly, like, I didn't Oh, are read you that. serious? Oh, no. I didn't read that as a sexual <laughs> come on at all. From really? any other teenage boy, I would take that line to be, yes, you do, and I will ask for it in the back of my van. But in this particular instance with Oz, I think it's just genuinely... I- yeah, you do. She gives him happiness just by being herself. I saw that as a very innocent comment, which from any other teenage boy, I would never read as innocent. I didn't take it as sleazy in the sense that, yeah, you do. And I plan on, on taking delivery of that <laughs> exactly. thing that you have to give me in the very near future. Um, I, I do see it as being, yeah, I mean, inclusive of all aspects of their relationship, yes. perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, would be mm-hmm. a nicer way to put it. But right. I, I took it as being a little more... <laughs> A little more physical and a little more intimate than, than no, you're there's it, something about Seth Green and just he's such a good guy and Oz in particular. There's just such genuine mature goodness there oh, yeah. that like I didn't see that as a as a sleazy kind of you know. No, he is yeah. just incredibly incredibly oh, charming. He's so but good. I kind of like even the idea that there is this physical component. Yeah. To his relationship yeah. with Willow, because there should be. It shouldn't it. be a. But yeah, that's not what right, it's about. Right. That's not why he's with her. And that's Certainly. what I like. Yeah. It's, there's mm-hmm. no sense that he buys her the, the Witchy Pez dispenser, which is a perfectly Oz gift, by the way. Exactly. That is exactly uh, true to his character. There's no sense that he buys her that gift as a means of <laughs> luring her into his van. <laughs> not that I read anyway. <laughs> In the library, Giles is thrilled with Buffy's SAT results, so thrilled that he momentarily suspends his preparations to attend a nearby hilltop retreat. Just a tiny little beat here. We're not going to spend any time at all on Giles in this episode. It's very nice that he shows up for this one scene. Uh, We don't have to deal with knocking him out later in the episode. Uh, One tiny little beat. He talks about going to this this nearby site of ancient druidic practices. Were there druids in north america in ancient times because i don't think that that's you know historically canonical okay well no but in this area though we are finding a lot of like the akathla was some kind of like egyptian thing and there's apparently everybody deposits something from their you know their history at the hellmouth (laughs) or the hellmouth just draws it in hellmouth pilgrims through the ages yeah Joyce, it turns out, is equally happy with Buffy's results and even suggested that Buffy leave Sunnydale and go to an actual good school. Giles, surprisingly, is on board. With faith to cover the Hellmouth duties, Buffy could get a real education somewhere else in a school that's only occasionally full of snakes. (laughs) Giles asks if she's going to see Angel while he's gone and she admits that she is, but that nothing's going to happen. Nothing at all. No, sir. The first of many denials through the course of this episode. Willow is anxious about the double date and is sure that she and Xander will somehow slip up. Xander isn't worried, though. Their indiscretions are in the past, by which he means that they aren't actually making out right now. <laughs> it's just all so complicated. Xander wishes there were a way he could just make it stop. It kind of frames the course of the plot rather nicely. It certainly does. And also speaks to this developing idea that Willow turns to magic yeah. as a first choice. Yes. <laughs> She's actively looking for problems right. that she can solve mm-hmm. with, with magical assistance. Joyce, meanwhile, is planning Buffy's college career. Design or, or history or something. Buff, Buffy likes things, <laughs> r- right? She has ap- aptitudes. There's things that she enjoys. It's kind of tough not to read that. 101. (laughs) But Joyce has literally no idea of any subject that Buffy is either interested in or good at. Yeah. 
Which yeah, is fair. Yeah, because Buffy does tend to keep herself to herself. And most of her extracurricular stuff involves killing vampires, which is not necessarily a career track that's sure. available at the local you know, but college. But presumably prior to becoming the Slayer, Buffy had aptitudes. At least there were, had interests there were things of some that she was sort. predisposed right. to, right? Yeah. I mean, Joyce still has to buy her birthday and Christmas presents. <laughs> presumably she has like that. That short list that every parent keeps. Has some know? understanding of what interests yeah. her daughter. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you cross, uh, Unless Joyce is still buying her like ponies and, and you know <laughs> friendship bracelet accessories right right I don't know. possibly buffy is feeling just a little of the separation anxiety but joyce doesn't know what's keeping her in sunnydale in the garden mansion angel answers that question he's reading la nausee by satre because you know disenfranchised gothic <laughs> bad boy is why as drunk spike watches from the shadows angel leaves the room and spike begins to rant about angel brainwashing drusilla about who's a cool guy <laughs> and then he trips over one of those weird concrete planters and passes out he's awoken by the rosy fingered light of dawn searing his skin and you know when you're cooking your vampire that's really how you keep the juices in oh god you want a nice high heat first off and then douse it in alcohol because as we know the best treatment for burns (laughs) brandy the best treatment for everything is brandy it's great because we're really seeing spike's desperation i mean you can look at that and feel a little uh nonplussed by the the physical you know proximity between spike and angel you can look at that and say really angel of all people doesn't notice a drunken spike ranting outside his house (laughs) particularly because there's not even a window right it's just a a bunch of boards that yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. so angel perhaps not at his best not at his most uh perceptive yes Mm -hmm. but we need this i think just to emphasize what a wreck Spike is Oh, and I love it. His vulnerability here is so beautifully done. I absolutely love the way that he is just destroyed by losing Drusilla. Yeah, and we cut from there to the local magic shop. (laughs) More (laughs) about that later. Spike is searching for a particularly vicious curse with which to afflict Angel. (laughs) But the store owner is distracted when Willow comes in looking for the ingredients for a love potion or anti-love potion. In Willow's case, Willow checks out $15.80, cheap at twice the price for the ingredients Mm -hmm. for for your love potion. She's a bargain hunting witch. And when she returns to Spike, he vamps out and bites her. Forget the curse. He has a better idea. It is just not a good thing to open up a magic shop. I cannot imagine that the profit margin in Eye of Newt is really so great, especially when yeah. Willow's walking out with all that stuff for 15 bucks, that it's actually worth the the hazard. Of, You'd think so, you know, Because right? eventually a vampire is just going to eat you. That's so apparently, just what happens. magic stores in Sunnydale do make a lot of money off of selling orbs of Thessala I imagine, to, to people yes. as paperweights, <laughs> including Giles, apparently. <laughs> it's a great moment, and I like Spike's kind of drunken desire for vengeance yes. more than any kind of <laughs> rational approach. I like that he stumbles onto the idea of the love spell. Yeah. I like that he is not cogent and coherent. No, and he's bouncing from thing to thing to thing, and he's just following his momentary passion. And we're not undercutting exactly how dangerous he is. Absolutely, which I love because we have all this vulnerability. We have him, you know, falling out of his car and drunk and catching on fire and all these terrible things. his enormous natural charisma. (laughs) Exactly. But then you have that moment where he just vamps out and eats the the shop owner, you know? Um, So we see that he is still Spike. He is still dangerous. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We cut from the magic shop to the town hall where the mayor is practicing his putting, talking over the Spike problem 
problem with his deputy. The mayor is distracted by a loose cannon rock the boat mixed metaphor. I'm with the mayor, I think. Not a mixed metaphor. Yeah, because there are cannons on boats. I think companionable metaphors. Yes. (laughs) Completely acceptable. Uh, He then instructs his deputy to send a committee after Spike. If I have a disappointment in this episode, we get reference made to Mr. Trick, but no actual Mr. Trick. I know, it is very sad. Is it possible that we just can't have Trick and Spike in the same episode because 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 my television would combust? Brains would explode. Is that what it is? Oh man, that is one of the big (laughs) shames of Buffy is that Spike and Trick never work together. I think it would so immediately render the entire rest of the show useless. (laughs) Buddy Cop is your answer to everything. (laughs) I don't want a Buddy Cop with Spike and Trick. I want a showdown between Mayor Wilkins and Leslie No. Oh right. I want to see an alternate take on local government here. I want Parks and Hellmouth. Parks and Hellmouth. <laughs> Back in the garden mansion, Angel feeds the fire and discusses college with Buffy. You know that comfortable conversation when you're 300 years old and your teenage girlfriend's looking at colleges? That's, that's a comfortable moment for everyone involved. <laughs> Though the Scoobies are in on the secret, Joyce still doesn't know about Angel. There are reasons to go. There are reasons to stay. And as a friend, Angel is on team get the hell out of town and never look back. <laughs> Buffy leaves. A new distance between the two of them. In the chemistry lab, meanwhile, Willow is prepping the spell. She's trying hard to stay focused despite Xander's charming charmliness. But Xander knows from love spells and Willow has to come clean. <laughs> he turns on the lights and is grabbed from behind by Spike. Spike knocks him out and we cut back to the burned out factory where Spike drinks and rants and tells Willow to create the love spell. She's going to try, but Spike is unhinged. He threatens Willow with a broken bottle, which is a really disturbing scene. It is. And then immediately sits down right next to her and just begins to unload all of his miseries. It is... I think it's beautifully incongruous and I think that it, it makes a point really wonderfully yeah. and it sits these two sides of him sit uncomfortably next to each other and yet are still spike yes i think what this moment achieves that the shop girl doesn't is that the, the shop girl is you know he vamps out and eats her right that's the supernatural threat that we're used to from mm-hmm. buffy this is a much more mundane and much more visceral threat. yeah it's, it's nasty in a way that you know even vamping out and psychotic instability. Isn't. It is, yeah. yeah, and it is very it's scary. Very close to the line for me, and, yeah. and not close to the line in terms of Spike's character, but in terms of the tone of the show. Yeah, there's an uncomfortable threat there mm-hmm. that that isn't obviously you know more egregious than other things that we have on television. Right, but it's an uncomfortable threat that, in its specificity, gets very close to the edge of what is Buffy. For right. Me. You know, mm-hmm, what, what mm-hmm. falls into this show's kind of yeah. tonal palette. Uh, as it is, though, I think it, it, it works quite beautifully, but it's, God, it's a <laughs> tough moment. Uh. Drew, we learn, didn't even try to kill him. She just left. It was a consequence, and this is a wonderful character. Oh, beat. I love this. A consequence of his truce with Buffy back in Becoming. In Brazil, he and Drusilla grew apart, chaos demons included. And when Spike laid down an ultimatum, Drusilla said they could still be friends. Heartbroken, he leans on Willow, but she smells so good and her neck is right there. And now we understand where Xander gets it from. Willow (laughs) tells him that she'll cast the spell, but he has to leave her alone. He agrees and she gets to work, though if it fails, he'll kill Xander and Willow will try again. She can't start, though, until she has the supplies and the books that she needs. In the library, Buffy is jumping rope when Oz and Cordelia appear, full of misgivings and foreboding. Not that there are any other kinds of givings and boding in Sunnydale. (laughs) They lead her to the chemistry class, where they discover the spell components and evidence of a fight. 
Buffy sends them off to get Giles and investigates, but not before Joyce calls to talk about college, and Buffy hears a familiar voice on the line. This in is Buffy's one of my kitchen, favorite parts. It's so good. In Buffy's kitchen, Spike is telling the story about the Chaos Demon again as Joyce pours him hot chocolate. I love any scene you get with Joyce and Spike. Oh, I just I, adore. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant. Yes. Angel is lurking outside and sees the two of them together, but when he charges in to rescue Joyce, he's repelled by his lack of an invitation. Joyce takes against him, of course, and Spike taunts him from behind Joyce's back. But Buffy's also home, and she pins Spike on the counter, then invites Angel in. Spike confesses that he has Willow and Xander, and he's not handing them over until the spell is complete. So, Angel accompanied Buffy to Buffy's house? Or Angel just happened to be lurking outside of Buffy's house when Buffy came home from school? I think she just happened to be lurking. So she didn't swing by the garden mansion and pick up some some Well, because then they would have entered together. You would think so. I would think unless, so. Z- unless Angel's is whole ploy is to distract She sent Spike. him to the back of the house yeah. to see, you know, yeah, that's a possibility. I think I like that better than Angel then just Angel lurking just around, lurking in the around her house. Too. Yeah. This, this closed yeah. in backyard that we've yeah. seen uh, outside Buffy's house. Maybe so. she called him. I don't know if they've got working phones at the garden mansion. They don't have electricity. <laughs> they don't have electricity, so I'm not sure that they would. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Distance is, of course, always a mutable thing. In Send a Buffy little vampire, vampire pigeon to bring him a message. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the thing that's making me struggle with it is I don't know, in, in Buffy's, you know, personality, I don't know what would drive her to go and get help from Angel at this point. Knowing that knowing Spike that is at her reveal, house? Well, yeah, but knowing yeah. that she would also reveal the secret of Angel's return to yeah. Joyce. I, I don't have a clean read on Buffy's motivation there, so I can't judge whether or not she yeah. really did summon him or this was just I think they you know, both just happened to be there, but it is it is a little bit weird that Angel's just, you know, lurking outside Buffy's house. Right, because the, the implication there would be that when she left the Garden Mansion earlier mm-hmm. and went back to the school to train, I guess, yeah. that he went and started hanging out around her house. Maybe he's just patrolling Which, the neighborhood. Let's face it, not the first time that he's lurked around right, outside her house. but usually he does that when he's Angelus. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we've had we've had both flavors. We've had of Angel, Angel, Angel lurk <laughs> both, too. Both Angel yes. and Diet Angel uh, <laughs> hanging out around Buffy's house. I'm not sure which one of those. Well, no, I do know which one is better. The better version is that she goes to the garden mansion and gets him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know quite how that fits together in terms of you know the sense of urgency yeah. the the oh my god spike is in my house mm-hmm. and the big reveal of angel's return to joyce yeah this is honestly one of two moments in the entire episode yeah that, that make me hesitate it's a little weird when yeah. you think about it it's a little weird i love the way that the scene evolves the scene you know unfolds oh but, yeah in, this, uh, in yeah. the specifics all yeah. of the stuff between spike and joyce is brilliant all the stuff between spike and angel is that brilliant. angel can't come in because yeah. he has been disinvited Yes, all of it. Mm-hmm. You're, a, you're a bad, bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Cordelia and Oz, meanwhile, race through the streets of Sunnydale, but Oz breaks when he smells Willow's scent, which is impressive. Yes. Because looking at Oz's van, you wouldn't imagine that he'd be able to smell anything other than, you know, 
marijuana and patchouli oil. Well, he's got the werewolf, you know, vampire. I'm just thinking that would make him more sensitive <laughs> to whatever, you know, thick smoke incense he's burning very, in the back of that Very, very true, yes. Not to mention he's sitting right next to Cordelia, and I imagine that Cordelia perfumes. <laughs> yes, I imagine she strikes she does me. Too. <laughs> <laughs> she strikes me as a Chanel number no. five kind of girl. She certainly does. <laughs> Spike is sobering up, meanwhile, but Angel prevents Buffy from fulfilling his wish that he was dead. Spike reminisces as they walk the streets of Sunnydale. Then they break into the crime scene that used to be a magic shop. They gather up the ingredients they need, but Spike blames them for driving Drusilla away. He's not impressed by their act, either. They're not friends, and they never will be. Love isn't brains. It's blood. I love this scene. As a matter of fact, I use this scene specifically in my dialogue class when yeah. I teach dialogue uh, because it is such a great, there's it's great rhythm, there's great beautiful. movement in this scene, the volley back and forth between all of the characters. It's wonderful. Yes, though it's, it's God, it's just the delivery. Yeah. Uh, it's so unique I to Spike. I may be loves bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. I love That's that. one of the little flourishes. One, yeah. the, the flourish that always gets me every time I watch it is the love isn't brains children. Yeah. It's blood. Uh-huh. That, it's so quintessentially Spike. It's mm -hmm. so artful and, you know, constructed mm -hmm. and yet authentic to this character. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of dialogue. Um. Yeah, and, and obviously emphasizes one of our big thematic... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of our big thematic questions in this episode. Is it possible to be friends mm -hmm. when there's other stuff beneath the surface? Right. Because we hit this note, you know, we've got the friendship between Buffy and Angel. We've mm -hmm. got the friendship between Xander and Willow. We've got the quote-unquote friendship between Spike and Drusilla. Right. <laughs> we've got all of these friendships, none of which could ever possibly work because they're well, all... Also, this idea that friendship is, you know, is some kind of watered down. She doesn't even love me enough to hate me. Like the idea that she wanted to be just friends was the most biggest insult that Spike yeah. could have had. She didn't love me enough to kill me. Well, and this you is know? certainly the conclusion we come to with Angel and Buffy is mm -hmm. that friendship is worse than either of the alternatives yeah. in a very real sense. You mm -hmm. know, it, it's holding on to the scrap of a thing right. in the most destructive and and demeaning way possible, you know, mm -hmm. demeaning for everyone involved. You yeah. know, you cling to this thing, this shadow, this remnant of the thing that you want mm -hmm. because you can't let go of everything. Right. And we see Buffy make the clean choice and a choice that I think demands a great deal of her, uh, yeah. both as a character and, and Sarah Michelle Gellar as an actress. Too. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a really powerful moment at the end yeah. of the episode. We will get right to that. Willow tries to escape the factory as Xander finally comes to in the absence of Giles. I guess uh, someone has to spend a large proportion of the episode <laughs> unconscious. Willow it's in the catches contract. Him, yeah. yeah, right. Willow catches him up on the part of the episode that he missed. And it takes a minute or two, in fairness, for her yeah. to fill him in. But desperation and hopelessness are just another kind of foreplay when you're a teenager. <laughs> and they make out just in time for Cordelia and Oz to appear. Mm -hmm. Cordelia and Oz, of course, surprisingly silent, considering that mere moments before Willow was pounding on the metal door at the top of the stairs. Right. You would expect yeah. them to... to here to have heard something <laughs> yes well and perhaps it's just because of all the rising music because you know how it is sure. when you make out on television there's all this music coming up and sometimes it can be distracting Wait, that you doesn't happen to hear. you in real life no that totally happens i just thought we had a string quartet following us we around. do <laughs> <laughs> it's a great moment and we have this this incredibly powerful reveal mm -hmm. so this is this is a big moment that we've been building to Basically for, for the first eight right. episodes of the mm -hmm. season, you know, we've been, we've been waiting for these two to find out and they find out in the worst possible way. Though I guess you could easily argue 
you know, yeah. these are these are special circumstances. Yeah, these are heightened circumstances. Yeah. But still, you know. And we've been dabbling in magic all day. Yeah. I feel like if they had had been, you know, predisposed to try, mm-hmm. Sandra and Willow could probably have played this off. Possibly, but it's I think to at their that credit point, that though, they come clean immediately, yes, and Willow's yeah. guilty. And nobody face tries to just... lie about anything or make up yeah. stories, which I think is is definitely to their credit. Cordelia flees, overwhelmed with this vision of her boyfriend and Willow <laughs> together, but she falls through the staircase and ends up really brutally impaled on a length yeah. of rebar. Uh, it's it's tough. That it's is pretty a, graphic. It's pretty horrible. It, it really yeah. is. On the mean streets of Sunnydale, meanwhile, the mayor's committee has finally caught up with Spike. They face off, and after concluding that they have to defend Spike if they're to rescue their friends, Buffy and Angel join the fight. Apparently, I guess the mayor's lackeys don't recognize the Slayer. Or it's just not their focus. They're there to talk to Spike. It's about Spike. That's just, that's what the job is. Right, focus on like the job. If I am a vampire, yes. and there's someone nearby me, you're going to have the Slayer's face on a milk title carton. is yes. Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I'm, just, look, I'm saying right. it doesn't matter where I am in real life. Mm-hmm. If I'm aware that there's someone nearby whose job description is Alistair Slayer, <laughs> I'm kind of always going to have a sense of where that person is <laughs> and my relationship to them. Very, but these vampires, very they seem very relaxed. No, vampire, the vampire psychology sometimes trying to figure out why they're going to just like light themselves on fire for, you know, somebody or whatever. I, I've never really quite understood I think the vampire survival instincts probably suffer somewhat, I guess, in the transition or whatever. But I do love seeing Buffy, Angel, and Spike all working together. It is so much fun to see that. Yeah, and this is this really great piece of fight choreography. The fight choreography Mm -hmm. continues to be exceptional even when we move back inside the magic box. But but out on the streets, I think it really works. Spike on top of the car in particular is really beautifully (laughs) composed. Uh, (laughs) The whole thing works. And it's great to see. You're right. It's great to see the three of them. I love seeing them all all together. All on the same team. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. Eventually, though, they retreat back to the magic store and barricade the window before the vampires burst in through the back door. They fight and we cut away to Xander climbing down to Cordelia in the magic store Angel is pinned under the door embarrassingly as Buffy and Spike fight on Buffy helps him up and he sees a row of vials of holy water Spike stakes Lenny is this the first instance we have of a vampire staking another vampire oh certainly Angel's done it has Angel staked vampires I'm certain. He, I guess I don't think of Angel. I, it didn't you don't strike think of me Angel as a vampire? As a vampire, right. you know, purely. Mm-hmm. But this is a full-blooded, you know, demon inside him vampire yeah. staking another vamp, which seems like a weirdly kind of transgressive act. You know, I think like. that the very nature of being a vampire is kind of transgressive. I think, especially Spike. I think that Spike, uh, Spike doesn't that's have a true. whole lot of rules, you know, that's that he runs by. Fair. So. Yeah. Buffy and Angel begin hurling the holy water through the window, driving the other vampires off. They decide enough is enough. Exactly. The violence has burned Spike's despair right out of him, though. The spell isn't what he needs. He just needs to be the man Drusilla loved in the first place. He tells them where to find the others. The factory, just yes, as Buffy exactly. guessed. <laughs> Lovely little character beat. And he leaves with the final observation. Love's a funny thing. Aww. Xander finally reaches Cordelia, who says that she can't see him. She passes out, and we cut to a funeral. Buffy and Willow, luckily, just happen to be passing this funeral that resolutely isn't Cordelia's funeral. And what the hell TV show? No, it's a fake out. And honestly, I hate fake outs. They annoy me. But 
so wildly undeserved. Well, the first time I saw this, you know, you have that moment where you're like, oh, Cordelia's dead, yeah. you know? And we're thinking that she's dead because of the way that she passes out in there. And it's just messing with but your the audience. with Xander has enough weight and consequence exactly. and significance unto itself. Yes. Were we not emotionally engaged without fearing that Cordelia was going to die? Right. This, I gotta tell you, this is no, such a cheap moment. No, I don't like that moment. moment either. In an average episode, mm-hmm. this would annoy the hell out of me. Yeah. In this episode, yeah. it infuriates me. It doesn't infuriate me. I, I, I think so it's a cheap, cheap move and I would take it out. But I also find it to be kind of funny because it's so obviously set up. And then when Buffy says, so Cordelia's going to be fine then, huh? Um, there's something about that that is kind of funny. Uh, so it doesn't bother me so much, but I, I, I agree with you. It's a cheap move. It no, really it, is. It really doesn't work for me. Yeah. If the joke had been, you know, Cordelia not not giving the dramatic death sign, yeah. which is clearly what she does. Yes. If we'd had a moment where she, you know, holds Xander's hand or she just turns away from him right. or it had been a little less emphatic mm-hmm. and then we had cut to the funeral and then, you know, pan down to yeah. Buffy and Willow, I would have liked that a little more. But they give her a death scene. Yeah, it obviously sets us up. And I mean, it's like a 15 second turnaround. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're in that moment for just a few seconds. But um, yeah, it's it's a cheap move. I don't I don't particularly care for it. I think it's I think it's below the level of writing that's in this episode. It's below the level of writing in Buffy in it's, general. It's an April Fool's. Like, I don't like April Fool's jokes either. They annoy me. You know, it's right. like, I don't I don't like anything where you're lying to me. Don't lie to but me. Don't mislead me. In don't, most you know. April Fool's pranks, you're not also trying to communicate, you know, a sophisticated and emotionally mature story exactly, to your, your exactly. recipient, to your audience. It's, it's cheap. The, it really mm-hmm. is. It's, it's the cheap. It, it might actually be, well, I'll need to give that some thought, but it might actually be the single cheapest moment we've had in Buffy to date. It is possibly, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really, really tough beat. Um, the consequences of Willow and Xander's dalliance aren't going to be dealt with that simply. Though Oz is being cold to Willow and she's ready to grovel if that is what it takes. In the hospital, Xander visits Cordelia. She turns to face him, says his name, and then tells him to stay away from her. He leaves and Cordelia begins to cry. And I love that we're just dealing with the consequences. Oh, yeah. There's no histrionics. There's, yeah. there's no operatics It's not a big here. dramatic scene. It's no. just go away. And we see how much this takes out of Cordelia. It just has, yeah, exactly, yeah. this devastating cost to both of them. You know, yeah. Xander is clearly consumed by it, too. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really heavy, heavy moment to deal with. Yeah. Do you feel a little bad that we don't get an Oz and Willow beat to match that? Because um, Oz's reaction is informed. Yeah, I do kind of miss that in this episode, but as time goes by, I feel better no about spoilers. it. No spoiling. No <laughs> spoiling. At the mansion, Buffy tells Angel that she's not coming back. Spike was right. They're not friends. She can fool everyone except herself. Man, Spike. <laughs> There's no way forward for the two of them. Unless, of course, Angel can tell her that he doesn't love her. He can't. So she leaves. And we see Angel alone. Willow alone. Oz and Xander and Cordelia and finally Buffy all alone. And then we cut to Spike, <laughs> leaving Sunnydale driving through the desert with a song in his heart. <laughs> the world, for Spike at least, has been restored to justice. Yes, absolutely. And he has left chaos and destruction in his wake. Yeah. And we cut to credits. Oh, man. That's Lover's Walk, you guys. Oh, it's a pretty man. great episode. I that love that one episode. tiny, there's the tangle about Angel showing up at Angel Buffy's house. Angel being a little, a little lurky. Yeah, yeah, I could use some clarity there one yeah. way or the other. 
Um, because I think either of those approaches is a potentially valid approach. Right. Mm-hmm. I just really don't know how to interpret it. And then the cheap shot of, of Cordelia's death scene. It's yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. just unconscionable in this script. Oh, God. I'm so infuriated by it. But apart from that, <laughs> yeah, just a stand-up episode. Oh, my God. I love this episode. So where would you like to start with our talking points <laughs> let's talk a little about spike let's let's briefly kind of move okay. through spike's character arc here and how emotionally vibrant and compelling we find that yeah. we talked a little about him showing up with all of this aching quivering vulnerability uh-huh that works for you clearly oh yeah absolutely how does his turn at the end work for you as as a as a character study as as a you know means of exploring this this complicated and fractured and devilish psyche that, that is spike <laughs> i mean i love it ordinarily in an episode where you know the goal is we have to save you know willow and xander and you know get get them out and all that kind of stuff from from spike and then it ends up being this oh your friends are at the factory but it's because he goes through this whole process because because he talks to Angel and Buffy about the real nature of love and what it is, because it is that reconnection with himself as a violent person um, that brings him back to himself and makes him understand exactly how he's going to get Drusilla back. Um, I love that arc with him, and I love that it is earned on Spike's side, that this is really kind of an internal antagonist episode for Spike, yeah. and that he has to get past himself in order to be able to, to you know, move on. And everybody else is just kind of dancing around his destruction i absolutely love it i think it works wonderfully no it really works for me too and and it sets up an interesting kind of resonance yeah through the rest of the episode because we have this moment where spike realizes that the only way to get drusilla back is to be himself is to be the monster that she fell in love with (laughs) in the first place and clearly that's that's a problematic you know idea we don't want spike to be destructive and evil and horrible but, but at the same time he is exactly and he's honest about it this is the thing that i absolutely love about spike is that spike is very straightforward very honest um doesn't think things through a whole lot not a big thinker but a guy who runs a by his heart sure. a man of action um and i love seeing that in him i love the complexity that this character has this this you know monstrous character right. has this complexity and this vulnerability that makes us love him anyway particularly as a counterpoint to buffy and angel who yeah. are of course suspended in this this immobility in because they can't and dishonesty act exactly in yeah. a way that is true to mm-hmm. who they really are the consequence right would be too great and i think there's probably a thematic thing in Mm -hmm. buffy there's a there's a an idea in buffy the vampire slayer as a whole that acting on one's desires is generally destructive and dangerous and and Mm -hmm. certainly we see that through you know xander and willow's experiences Mm -hmm. how much do you blame xander and willow for the fallout in their relationship to what degree (laughs) are they responsible directly for it and to what degree are they just you know Boyed along on, on, on the whims of, of fate and caprice. Yeah, just the, it, it is treated as though when you're caught up in these passions, you have absolutely no control. Like this whole thing that they can't stop making out. So Willow has to go to a love spell or an anti-love spell, a delusting spell. Um, that she has to turn <laughs> to magic because she is incapable, like physically incapable of just not kissing Xander anymore. Um, and, and I think that that in itself is part of this 
you know, this high school, this immature experience, this inability to control oneself in this certain circumstance. But the way that Spike talks about love, and I think the thematically what we're talking about with love is that you don't have control. You can't control it. It is what it is. It burns through your blood and you can't think your way around it. Well, right. Except that Buffy does have control. Yeah. She can choose not to be consumed by it. She mm-hmm. can choose not to listen to the call of the blood. She can right. choose to walk a harder path, certainly, but a path that is more obviously But it requires, the I way. think, a certain level of maturity, which is something that Willow and Xander don't have. Right. So we're building here mm-hmm. through Spike, through the, through the echoes and the resonances that we get through this episode, mm-hmm. a, fairly, a fairly critical view of Xander and Willow's relationship. Yeah. Now, I don't like their relationship. Mm-hmm. I've never really bought it Mm -hmm. i like if you assume that it's built properly if you kind of backfill in the the last few episodes so that you can arrive and we talked about buffy and angel doing this just just Mm -hmm. recently you kind of you arrive at a place and that place is fine if you imagine that you got there in a sustainable and interesting and and, and Mm -hmm. developed way i've never cared for for xander and willow and i've never found it a particularly compelling relationship but i think seen through the filter of this episode where you see that it's not about Love. It's not about, mm-hmm. you know, this, this, this sense that these two people finally are, are compatible, that they finally, you know, synced Have up. Have found each other, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get that. I don't see Willow and Xander as being, mm-hmm. you know, great partners for each other. I don't see them as being even a terribly good couple. Right. If though you see it through this, this resonance from Spike, that this is in fact just lust. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> Willow describes it as a delusting spell. Right. Mm-hmm. We see very little sense that there is well, no, that that's not true. We see a huge sense that there is love there, but yeah. it is the love that has always been there between the two of them. It is the love of friendship. The thing is, the Willow and Xander thing, I shipped completely at the beginning of season two when he puts the ice cream on her nose and there's that moment. They have this wonderful moment. And the two actors have a, a great amount of chemistry. They do. Plus, Willow, I mean, has loved Xander since they were right. kids. But that's the complicating factor for yeah. me, is that Willow's love of Xander has always been immature. Yeah. It has always been rooted in this, you know, <laughs> you hang the moon. You're yeah. this amazing mm-hmm. person in my life. And, and it's never... It's never been developed past that. Mm-hmm. If we were going to move Willow and Xander to a point where they were having a real relationship, yeah. we would have to forcibly reframe Willow's understanding of who he is. Because yeah. otherwise, it it's rooted in this in immature space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She sees him unclearly. She sees him with this immature love. Yeah. If he comes to her with a with a mature, sophisticated, respectful love, it's still going to feel a little icky. It's mm-hmm. still going to feel that that they're not playing the same game, that they're right. not, or, or at least not governed by the same mm-hmm. set of rules. Mm-hmm. So if we see Xander and Willow as a love affair, yeah. I have a real problem with it. If mm-hmm. we see it as two people who have an intense mutual attraction and their hormones are turned up to 11, possibly even by the Hellmouth. Possibly <laughs> even. The Hellmouth is amplifying everything. If so, we yeah. see it, that, that what they're actually doing is, is mm-hmm. on some very real level, mishandling this very profound bond that exists between the two of them. Right. And it's being mm-hmm. alchemically turned by whatever hormonal process is raging within them. Mm-hmm. It's being alchemically transformed into lust, into yes. desire. Mm-hmm then I can actually, I can see their relationship a little more clearly. It does make me a little less sympathetic, but I think it works better narratively. I think with Willow and Xander, we've hit a lot of weird notes, the same way that we have with Xander and Buffy, that they're just like the, the <laughs> note at the end of season two where where Xander says, I love yeah. you, and it's not at all clear 
what way he loves her or how that works at the beginning of season two he was this close to kissing her that is as far as i'm concerned that is a kiss the fact that their lips didn't get to touch before they got interrupted by a vampire doesn't mean that that wasn't there emotionally this moment happened but even then it's not at all clear to what degree that's you know, Xander's sublimated desire mm-hmm. for Buffy, or right. it's just that they are lonely and it's only the two of them left that mm-hmm. they're drawing some kind of comfort and solace. Theirs is a complicated relationship. And you're right. Part of our problem here is that it's being inconsistently depicted right. as mm-hmm. we move through, particularly, I think, the second season. Yes. The arc mm-hmm. from the ice cream kiss <laughs> all the way through to, to the, the I, I love, love you at the end. Becoming. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. There is no clarity at all in what this relationship is. And by the time we get to homecoming, by the time they kiss in homecoming, for me, as a, you know, in the beginning of season two, a yeah. Willow and Xander complete shipper, um, I was left a little bit cold by it. I was like, it's a little too little. It's a little too late. It doesn't really make sense right now. Um, they're both in other relationships that yeah. are going fairly well. That's the thing of it. We don't see any kind of relationship develop, any kind yeah. of romantic aspect to mm-hmm. the relationship between Willow and Xander. Right. It's, it's all about making out. It's, it's all, all about, about kind of kiss It happens when about. they're getting changed in front of each other yeah. in Willow's room, when they're both dressed up and things are heightened. Um, and there is something, too, when Willow was talking to Buffy in the previous episode right. about how the sexy secret makes the it sexy. The sexy secret. Yeah, sure. That there's something about it being um, forbidden that makes it that much more appealing. So I think that they used Willow and Xander to talk about something that is that doesn't really fit with the history that they have there. On top of which Xander has always known how Willow feels about him. And so for him, even when, even in this space where Willow does seem to be over that particular, you, you hang the moon kind of thing with him. Um, it seems a little out of character for Xander to allow this in a situation where Willow might get emotionally hurt. I can see that. But again, you know, if we're mm-hmm. buoyed along on, on torrents of hormones, yeah. then the whole thing makes a little more sense. And I would argue that there's maybe even a way of looking at it. If you interpret Oz's playful line at the beginning of the episode, that there is, in fact, something Willow can give him. Yeah. If you see what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> if you interpret it that way and that you read the implication there that Willow and Oz haven't had sex, that they've yes. kind of... Uh, you know, uh, uh, an intimate but not yet sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. You could see, I think, Willow using Xander as a means of discovery and experimentation. Mm-hmm. That that this is a you know a safe place, right? Because Xander will never hurt her. Right. Xander will mm-hmm. never betray her. Will mm-hmm. never you know let her down in that sense. Um, I think there are ways of looking at it that that, that make it work. But the idea that this is the great romance. Yeah, you know, I don't think that that's. I find that I find that problematic. I find it uncompelling. By the it time it they're work. done with this, yeah. I'm pretty much done with it as a viewer. You know, right? Yes, I don't want to look too far down the road. Right, but, but mm-hmm. yes, this this story has kind of <laughs> just its played last out. Movement. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's move on from Willow and Xander to mm-hmm. look at one of, or from Willow at least yes. to look at another interesting point of comparison in this episode. Is there anything to the idea that what Spike does in this episode, his desire to win Drusilla back by magic, or punish Drusilla with magic, because he says to Willow that he wants her to cast the spell to make Drusilla crawl. Right. Mm -hmm. Is there a connection there between Spike's desire for love-based vengeance and Xander's desire for love-based vengeance back in Bothered, Bewitched, and Bewildered? 
Um, I don't know. I think that it, I think that it traipses in the same areas thematically. I think yeah. we're traipsing in this episode between mature and immature love. Um, that mature love is about sacrifice because here we have um, Giles tells Buffy to go away to school. Joyce tells Buffy to go away to school. Angel tells Buffy to go away to school. None well, of whom want her to leave them. Okay. <laughs> but they want her to have a better life. Giles is the only one who does so selflessly. Joyce wants Buffy out of Sunnydale so that she's not, you know, fighting demons on a regular basis anymore. Well, but it's because she wants her daughter to be safe. I think that's still right. A but it's not thing. about. It's not in recognition of Buffy's potential or life. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel, at least, that that Joyce is really thinking about what is best for Buffy, as, or at least until later in the episode when she yeah. calls when Buffy's at the library mm-hmm. and she says, "You know, I've reconsidered. I was a little hasty about thinking about right. sending you away. I've got some some brochures for local schools. I think that's an arc, but we just we never do anything." Well, with and that. that's also another thing too that Joyce. I mean, as a parent, you know, you want your child to be safe. That's like the first like sure. primal instinct thing. And so for Joyce to say, "Okay, you know, if you want to stay here, if you want to go here, that's great. Here's some other options." She wants Buffy to have a life, and she yeah. is, I think, genuinely wanting what's best for Buffy. Sure, I'm not you being know, critical and Angel of, wants. Of well, no, this is my one time. I'm not being. I think Joyce is great in this. I think Joyce is Joyce is turning around right quick, which yeah, this is really is the Joyce nice that we were waiting. This for is the Joyce that I remember. This is yeah, the Joyce yeah. that I remember, and she's, you know, she's loving, and and yeah. there is a maturity. There is a mature in a maturity in sacrifice for the sake of love that you want them to be happy rather than you want them to make you happy. That's the difference between mature and immature love, right, and I think though, that we see that line. In this episode, you know, drawn pretty nicely between Spike and Xander and Willow and then Buffy and Angel and then the kind of love that Giles and Joyce have for Buffy. Yes. Okay. I do think that we see that line drawn and I do think that we deal with the difference between, you know, the the need of someone and the want of someone. I Mm -hmm. think that those are certainly, you know, subtle aspects uh, that are drawn out in this episode. I do think there's a difference between the way that Giles deals with the idea of Buffy leaving Sunnydale and the way that Joyce deals with the idea mm-hmm. of Buffy leaving Sunnydale, at least in that that first instance. I yeah. do think that Joyce comes around. Angel is more complicated. Mm-hmm. I don't get a clean read on on what he wants mm-hmm. when he says that she should leave um, because it doesn't seem entirely compatible with his stance at the end of the episode. So I'm not, I'm not well, certain about that. Well, I think that, that he's... That. You know, he's torn with it because it's not a sacrifice if it's easy, you know? And I mean, he wants her, he wants well, right, to but have a not... relationship with her, but he also wants her to live, you know, a normal life. Well, does he? I think so. Because wanting her to live a normal life, and this is also what Joyce wants to a certain degree mm-hmm. too, again, at least in that first instance, wanting her to lead a normal life is a fundamental misunderstanding of who this person is. Giles is the only right. one who says, you're never going to live a normal life, mm-hmm. but you could for a little while. But you could at least get the education. You could, yeah. you know, do something, right? All of which would also make her a better Not to mention that Slane doesn't pay. I mean, she's got she's to keep the lights well, on somehow. Who the hell knows? How is, how is Faith paying for her little motel room wherever well, she is? Well, her little motel room is pretty dingy. I imagine Faith is doing that by pickpocketing. <laughs> you know, or just, you know, every time she kills a vampire, like a video game, you just loot the body. You know, she, you vampires turned into coins. Money that way. Right, yeah. Like, like, like is, Scott you know, Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. It's like a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, yes, we're engaging with love as an ideal in a very mm-hmm. complicated way and yeah. certainly uh, selfish and selfless love mm-hmm. in a very complicated way. But for me, the echo between Spike and Xander, uh, between this episode and, and Bewitched, mm-hmm. Bothered, and Bewildered, is simply that 
I am being hurt by love and I want the other person to feel that too. Yes. I want them mm-hmm. to be sick of it too. Mm-hmm. I want them to be, you know, yes, crawling and tormented. <laughs> and right. I want them to feel the way that they have made me feel. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's an exact parallel. I mean, yeah. it's an exact parallel. Down to Xander recognizing the love spell, which is a beautiful Which is a good note. And also having learned a lesson. Yeah. You know, and let's not mess with this. It's very Absolutely. dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. So here we see, I genuinely think, the other side of this, yeah. except Spike comes through it without having to undergo <laughs> this whole right. ordeal. Right, but he would have. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a version of this story where everyone in town falls in love with Spike, and he has to hide in Buffy's basement. And I am not for a moment saying that I don't want that episode. Because I would I love that episode. Did. That is a very fun episode. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, having already done it with, yeah, with Xander, yeah. it would probably be mm-hmm. a little a little fresh in the memory at least. Um, is there anything to that comparison? Is there anything that that is redemptive about Spike? About the fact that he kind of he overcomes that without having to undergo the trial. I don't think that in any way it's redemptive of Spike. I think that it is just a coincidence that he happens to have an experience that makes him feel like he doesn't need the love spell. But he would have turned to it. There's no there's no moment where Spike would have learned a valuable lesson and and not done the love spell because it was wrong. You know, Um, he was always going to to come to some kind of solution that was always going to be wrong, selfish, immature love, passionate love, but immature love. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can see I can pick up what you're putting down there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's let's kind of conclude our look at the tangled uh-huh. love relationships in this episode by looking at Buffy and Angel. I think that anyone with a strong sense of the arc of this show mm-hmm. completely understands by the time we get there how necessary it is for Buffy to to take the action that she takes yeah. at the end of the episode that she has to mm-hmm. break it off and that she is now emotionally sophisticated and aware enough yeah. that she doesn't need to question whether she loves him she yeah. could do it if only he didn't love her back. Right. Mm-hmm. I love everything that we get in, in that sequence. That at the end. moment I love the recognition is so of it. beautiful and so heartbreaking, yeah. you know, because they do obviously love each other. There's obviously a But connection. it just can't, you know, she can't go back. She can't be just friends and they can't be together. And she makes an incredibly mature choice. Yeah. So that know? works for you? It does. I mean, it's sad. You yeah. know, it makes oh, me no, sad. Course, I mean, but I but I absolutely understand. I think Buffy's right. And in that moment, too, where she he says, you know, we can still be something. Can we, you know, and she says, can you tell me that you don't love me? Yeah. And the thing is, is that she knows he loves her and she knows that she loves him. And it's not possible while they love each oh, other yeah. for them to be friends. She's not asking him. She's yeah. explaining why they can't. Exactly. Yeah. It's, exactly. It's a great moment. It's a very And it's a moment, moment. Of, of real emotional honesty, which is so essential in any relationship that people yeah. are truly honest with each other. And where they're talking about, oh, we're friends and we're fine. And then Spike just throws it in their face. I mean, it's so clear and that's one of the things that i love about spike is that he doesn't care about hurting anybody's feelings or um or upsetting anyone or anything like that he He is all about speaking the truth and i love that about his character that is a a a vital part of Mm -hmm. his character Mm -hmm. and it certainly opens up that that interesting relationship with buffy when we have that moment where she can lie to everyone but she can't lie to herself right or spike or Spike. Because Spike no, yeah. sees Spike in his, sees in his yeah. you know, predisposition to action, in his clarity of purpose, his his understanding of his own nature. Yeah. He doesn't 
dissemble. He doesn't play games. He, he doesn't, stands <laughs> outside of yeah. social social relationships. There's, yeah, there's certainly an element of that. Though, yeah. I mean, you could argue, of course, that that many of the Scoobies do in their own yeah. way. Mm-hmm. So we're comfortable with where everyone ends up. I mean, we don't like where everyone ends up, but we're, we're convinced by the, the motion that carries yeah. them there. No, I think it's absolutely a, a genuine and, and real place. We've yeah. kind of spoiled it a little bit, mm-hmm. I think, that, that we don't from this go on to to a whole new romance between willow and xander and i think that's obvious it's obvious why the destruction that was caused can't be can't be trivially undone Mm -hmm. their their (laughs) their difficult and and you know contentious relationship isn't going to survive this experience Mm -hmm. when you watched this originally did you want that I was ready for it to be over. I was ready for, yeah. yeah, Willow and Xander, again, at the beginning of season two, completely shipped them. At this point, it it was just too late. Too much had happened. And the nature of this relationship was not about their love for each other. It was about, you know, other complicating factories. It was an incredibly immature um, kind of lusty thing for them to experience, and they're they're young. I mean, to say they're immature is not an insult to to you know characters who are sixteen, seventeen years no, old. The only way to mature is exactly to go through the is to go through and, these and, yeah. these processes. But um, so I mean, it was by it of its own nature an immature love. It was never going to to work out, you know. So I was I was kind of happy to see it sort of. Yeah, I think whatever you're... In a way that has consequence. I like the consequence from this. Oh, sure. No, an abundance of consequence. (laughs) No, I think however you interpret that relationship, it's... it's, I I don't think that there's a perspective that you could take on that relationship that, that... Mm-hmm. Would lead you to believe that it could survive this right. mm-hmm. this you know horrifying climax. This, Their relationship this, this is ever going to be anything other than friendship. Yeah. What about we talked a little about Cordelia's mm-hmm. faux funeral? Yes. Uh, and her death scene. What about her falling through the staircase and landing on the rebar? Mm-hmm. Is there, do you think, a compelling narrative element why we needed to have that other than tension to carry us through the climax? I think it it gave us some tension. I think the idea of Cordelia being in the hospital, being endangered that, you know, for that moment we think she's dead. I feel like they had her fall on that so that they could pull the, oh, Cordelia's dead yeah, thing. Yeah, I um, fear that you're right. I, I don't object to her falling and landing on the rebar yeah. in and of itself. And we have, you know, this moment of tension where yeah. we're, we're intercutting with the fight in the magic shop and mm-hmm. Xander's climbing down to rescue her. And it's, it, it's, it's also real consequence. It's it's very serious consequence for what's, Well, it is, you know. but it's, it's disconnected consequence. Yeah. It's consequence that has nothing to do with, you know, what has led us here. Right. I could stand to just cut the whole thing. I could stand to just... I'm not sure that it adds anything, and I'm not <laughs> I'm not convinced that it doesn't detract from yeah. the actual immediate emotional consequence. That beat between Xander and Cordelia right at the end of the mm-hmm. episode, that heartbreaking moment where yeah. this relationship that I have been a huge fan of yeah. throughout the entire run of Buffy, when this relationship comes to an end, mm-hmm. I, I would be as moved if they were just in the hole. If yeah. she was, for example taking his pictures out of her locker. Right. Or had already replaced to, all yeah. of his pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or if she was if she was doing that bright, brittle Cordelia yes. thing with mm-hmm. uh, with her, you know, popular girl clique. Yeah. Um and he approaches her and she says, Xander, stay away from me. Right. Mm-hmm. 
I think that line would have very much the same impact in any other circumstance. I'm not so sure too. that we have to go to all the trouble of 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 having, of, her of having the fake funeral. wind up in the hospital, yeah. and then we have this montage of everyone being alone at the end. And I understand why everyone has to be alone, right. but I see Cordelia lying in that hospital bed, and I think, where the hell are Willow and Buffy? Yeah, you know, where the hell is Oz, who, by the way, has had a better relationship with Cordelia, with Cordelia over the last exactly. three episodes? Yeah, true. Than anyone else throughout the entire run of the show. Where are her friends? Yeah, when she has when she been is abandoned. In the by her yeah, boyfriend exactly you know mm-hmm. you would want I, I mean i guess i can understand why willow wouldn't be there but you uh, want yeah. someone there yeah. with her right yeah. yeah i don't know it it it's 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 kind of a hollow you know flat thud of a beat yeah. it doesn't bother me in the way that the funeral bothers me mm-hmm. it's not aggressive in right. that way it's not deliberately misleading in mm-hmm. that way but i wonder to what degree it's necessary and to what degree it's just a consequence of this you know, televisual structure. Right. Mm-hmm. Where we want to have rising action in both plot threads mm-hmm. so that we can we can have them both crest at the same point and then resolve them both yeah. effectively simultaneously. That we resolve the action of this episode, mm-hmm. what, seven, eight minutes from the end? Yeah. Because yeah. then we have to have all the consequences play out. We have Buffy and Willow's conversation. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Xander and Cordelia's conversation. We have Buffy and Angel's conversation. Yeah. All the way through to, to Spike leaving Sunnydale mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, it, it's... It's an odd one, though it's very easy to look past mm-hmm. some of that structural stuff yeah. just because the episode itself is so, it's just so staggeringly good. good. It's just so good. And and the thing with Cordelia and the rebar doesn't really speak to consequence of Xander cheating. It's consequence of her saving them. It's consequence of them being oh, in the factory. Consequence which of, yeah, is, Spike taking them to the abandoned factory. Right, but I mean, if the if the... You know, if the stairs are that weak anyway, then it's it could have been anybody. It didn't have to be right. Cordelia. It didn't have to. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's not directly connected. It's not like this is a consequence that Xander could have foreseen that she would, you know, not just right. find out, but that she would be, you know, impaled by rebar. If it was a consequence that was foreseeable in you know, that Xander could have seen that was his direct fault as opposed right. to he was dragged into this factory. They were rescuing him. If they hadn't seen them kissing, somebody would have fallen through that step anyway, because that step was obviously, you know, not OSHA approved. Right. So <laughs> somebody has not been in to inspect the factory. Um, so because of that, because it, it wasn't a direct consequence of them even being caught, it well, was just a consequence of, of them being in the factory, which was Spike's fault. Because we don't leverage it for direct consequence. Yes. There mm-hmm. is that moment when Xander is climbing down and Willow calls down to Cordelia, telling mm-hmm. her that Oz has gone for help. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a moment where the two people who were just caught kissing mm-hmm. are together. I mean, physically together. Yeah. While, you know, the betrayed girlfriend is laying mm-hmm. 10, 12 feet below them, impaled yeah. <laughs> by rebar. I, that is a powerful moment mm-hmm. that we don't do anything with. So right. if you're going to go to all the trouble of having Cordelia, you know, mm-hmm. being injured in this horribly graphic and visceral way. Yeah. And then we're going to mislead the audience about her death. Mm-hmm. I, the whole thing doesn't quite it's, sit right. It's an odd, it's a dissonant note, yeah. but I, it, don't, it doesn't bother me so much that I can't, you know, completely love and enjoy the whole oh, run. Oh, no, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of how much we love and enjoy the whole episode, yes. we have, we do, I should say, have some thoughts for the spoiler zone Yes, this week. we do. We will have there a will spoiler, be a spoiler zone. zone right after the music. But for now, let's get to our discussion of where this episode should fall on our big old list of every Buffy episode ever. Uh-huh. Okay, make your pitch. Uh, number one. 
Number one, because it has strong emotional (laughs) moments. The story and the structure are very tight. It is funny and heartbreaking. The understanding of the characters, the deep uh, thematic, you know, river that runs all the way through this scene. Um, There's so much stuff in here that's done so well and so tightly and just written beautifully. There's so much in here. I love it. I could see an argument that it should go number two on our spot. Right. Taking second place to becoming part one and part two. Mm-hmm. Because becoming has this giant operatic, apocalyptic, yes. you know, catastrophic sense of its own import and its own magnitude. Mm-hmm. This is a much smaller episode, so it doesn't get to delve into you know, right. close your eyes. It doesn't well, get to delve becoming into has a much, much shattering greater moments. scale. Yes. You know, um, in fairness, though, I could also see that as a criticism of becoming uh-huh. and, uh, you know, something worthy of praise about Lover's Walk is that it manages to do a lot of what becoming does yeah. on a much smaller scale. On a smaller to do it scale, more personal but and more very effectively. Scale. Very effectively. So, yeah, I mean, I got to say it's a tight call for me between Becoming and Lover's Walk. Um, if you feel strongly, I could go with you. If it's you really feel difficult. strongly that it goes below Becoming, no, I, I mean, could go that far. I intuitively feel that Lover's Walk is one. It has the potential to be one of the top five episodes of Buffy. Yeah. It doesn't waste the time that Becoming Part 1 and Part Mm -hmm. 2 wastes. It doesn't have the structural problems that Becoming Part 1 and Part 2 have. We're not distracted by simply the fact that Becoming is a two-part story, and some of the connective tissue between those two parts doesn't entirely work. Mm -hmm. Becoming is a lot of excellence diluted through two episodes. I think you could argue that (laughs) <laughs> I think you could argue that Lover's Walk is slightly less excellent. That it achieves. I think it's much more elegant. Well, yeah, because it's yeah. not diluted. It manages to have that amount of awesome mm-hmm. in a single episode. Yeah, know? and it um, comes in. It does. It comes in. It does its job, okay. and it gets the hell out. Let me put it this way. Yeah, Lover's Walk is a better episode than Becoming. There's nothing in Lover's Walk. Not even Spike's brilliant. You yeah. know. Maybe I am love's bitch. Yeah. Conversation, you know, that that brilliant dialogue. There's nothing in Lover's Walk that is as good as Close Your Eyes. That is as devastating. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I, I honestly, I could go either way. I, I'm comfortable putting Lover's Walk number one on the list. I, it is okay. a better episode. It I, is a better a, episode. It's a really good the episode. The highs yeah. are not quite as high as Becoming. Right. It doesn't have the, the it's, impact. It's like a hair's... But it does Lord. what it does yeah. so well and so efficiently and so elegantly. Yeah. There it is. Lover's Walk. Number first one. on our list. Uh, becoming, of course, the end of, of, of season, season two. two. So yes. it hasn't been there for a terribly long yeah. time. It's only mm-hmm. been a couple of months that it's been. Uh, but it was number one with a bullet when it there was the there. Yeah, yeah, it really mm-hmm. has. So, so let's take a quick look down our list. This is Lover's Walk, number one. Becoming part one and part two in second place. Passion in mm-hmm. three. I only have eyes for you in four. And Band Candy in five. That's a good top that five. That's a pretty good top five. Yeah. Uh, I think Lover's Walk is going to be there for a little while. I think it'll be in the top five for quite some time. No, uh, In the top five for quite some time. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be at the top four. At number one for a little, well, yeah, I got to say, season three is full of some stiff competition. Well, this is the great thing. Every season from here on out has serious contenders for that number one spot. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the way through to the end, we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. 
potential uh potential number one episodes yeah. so there's just there's so much good there's, there's so, so much, much good it is an about. embarrassment of riches oh, i gotta we say did have some discussion by the way yeah we are going to keep two or i guess three lists mm-hmm. when we start covering angel two we are going <laughs> to have a buffy list and an angel list mm-hmm. we're going to keep those separate separate and yes. then when we do the season wrap-ups mm-hmm. we will combine those lists oh it's going to get unwieldy if we try and keep one combined list it's going right. to be impossible no because, that is going to be and impossible. in a lot of cases you're comparing apples and oranges because angel and buffy yeah. are different types of shows yeah but I when mean, we do the season mm-hmm. wrap-ups we will do huge you know extravaganzas when we finish mm-hmm. you know one season of buffy and one season of angel simultaneously wow uh, and when we have those wrap-ups we'll, we'll talk about a combined list and, and oh well yeah see what we can do i'm we not sure even, a combined list will work i think we might even open up the combined list to a public vote of maybe some kind. maybe put that out to the public or yeah. something i don't want to be responsible for a combined list of buffy and angel guys thank you so much for listening that kind of a shorter show you know you may have expected our all-time favorite episode to date to result in a longer episode but honestly sometimes the excellent episodes give you less to talk about they do they do yeah and there's not because there's great nothing to fix so we're not moving pieces around exactly, and fixing exactly. it you know yeah next week though we really are going to be able to talk about metaphysics we really are going to be able to to wrestle with some of the biggest ideas oh, in yeah. all of buffy next week marty noxon's script the wish another standout yeah. drag out knockdown episode it's going to be a ton of fun we are going to stick around after the music for some spoiler filled discussion about where we go from here the mm-hmm. consequences of lover's walk through season three and onwards so if you haven't seen all of buffy the vampire slayer be prepared to turn off when i cut to the music in just yes. a moment <laughs> if you've seen it all and you know what's coming then stick around and we'll spoil some stuff together <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun and a really great discussion next week to look forward to mm-hmm. thank you so much for listening if you would like to support what we do here at story one Dot com, then head on over to our Patreon page that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Storywonk where you can pledge a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. We are closing in rapidly. The support over the last couple of weeks has been outstanding. We mm-hmm. are stunned and humbled by your generosity as we always are. But we are drawing ever closer to the goal of Double Dusted. If yeah. you would like two episodes of this nonsense every single week <laughs> you can make that happen p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash storywonk that's where you can pledge your support and help us do even more as i said next week the wish until then i'm alistair stevens and i'm lonnie diane rich and this is dusted Three big things for the spoiler talk this yeah. week. Uh, let's start with the easiest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the magic box is here. The magic box. The magic box is actually here yes. this time. Uh, yes. We did we did anticipate the magic box a little early. Uh-huh. Back in Ted, there right. was that we set. Thought we saw the, the magic box set, but it wasn't exactly the same. But this is the magic this box. This is the actual, inside right and down outside. to the tables with the doilies on yeah. them. Well, yeah. The inside is different, though. We're going to the remodel inside the inside. smaller than the final, yeah. To, to basically turn it into an entirely different building. Right, uh, It right. would seem. Yes. But there are architectural details that remain the same. Mm-hmm. And certainly that exterior shot is absolutely, <laughs> that's the magic box go. right there. Yeah. It's great to see it. I know, it's fun. This is it, though. We mm-hmm. get no more magic box at all this season. Oh. We get one quick beat, if I remember rightly, in season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's it until season five. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Until it's going to be a while until we actually spend some meaningful time here. I know, but I it's nice to then see then that it'll... foreshadowed. And the, you know, the death of all the yes. people who own a magic store in Sunnydale. Yeah, it's dangerous. Right. 
On to major spoilers. Do you want to talk yes. about Willow or do you want to talk about Spike? Oh, I don't know. I think I want to talk about Spike. All right, let's talk about Spike. Because it turns out that the only person that Buffy can't lie to is yeah, Spike. Yeah, the only one who can see through everything with her is Spike. Here we are, the first third of season three. Mm-hmm. And we give in this episode an eloquent, a considered, a thoughtful description of what makes Buffy and Spike so unbelievably powerful together oh, as a couple. Yeah. Not good together, you know, not healthy Incredibly together, destructive always. and dysfunctional, <laughs> yeah, but also... But the reason yeah. that they work is exactly that. They mm-hmm. both see each other very clearly. And they know exactly who the other one is. And um, it's... I love the whole arc with Spike when he comes back at the, at the beginning of season four all the way through to the end. Um, I think that is some of the best characterization that I've yeah. ever seen done on television and oh, a his character arc, arc from there to the end. that is yeah. completely earned. And I think rivaled only by Wesley and Angel. I love what happens with Wesley and Angel too. Um, so I, I, yeah, I love what happens to Wesley and Angel. Yeah. I, it's not even on the same. I no, mean, it, the only thing I that comes close for me is Wesley that, and yeah, Angel that, that uh, to totally what happens with Spike. Spike is, Spike is beautifully, beautifully done and, and earned through, you know, yes. blood and sweat and everything well, throughout and the whole process. this is the process. episode that primes that yeah, pump. This is absolutely. the episode that makes it clear that James Masters can do this. That Spike oh. as a character has the flexibility and the range to allow for more emotional For that kind of work. Storytelling. Yeah. He is so good in this episode. The way that he can shift from just achingly vulnerable oh, yeah. to incredibly funny to, to whole, vibrant. Unbelievably dangerous and disturbing. Exactly. That yeah. moment with the bottle really oh, is yeah. as close as anything we've had in Buffy for a long, long while. Yeah. That is the moment that, that just oh, almost God. kicks me out of the episode. But I love the relationship, too, between Spike and Willow. Oh, we'll revisit love, that, too, yes, in season four. I love that, that we're going to come back to that. But that she stands up to him, even though he's so terrifying, yeah. and he respects her, yeah. um, which I absolutely love. And he's vulnerable with her, which I find, I mean, the there-there moment in this episode where she pats him on the shoulder, <laughs> we're going to see that again quite a few times throughout the run between uh, between Willow and Spike. It's a really interesting relationship and kind of a a weird sort of friendship with uh, that begins yeah, with Willow yeah. and, and Spike, well, which and I, I really love. We've also framed, to the degree that the framing was necessary, we've also framed the uh, the relationship between Spike and Xander. Oh, we'll see yeah. from now until, mm-hmm. oh, the end of the uh, show. Forever, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a really great, ca- he is a really great character, his mm-hmm. relationship with Buffy, though, to have that so cleverly articulated yeah. so early. So early on. With, honestly, let's, yeah. be, let's be real here. No real sense that that is what they were going to do. I don't think anybody at that point no. would have had a hope in hell about what's going to happen with Spike and Buffy in the future. But that future. makes it yeah. all the more impressive because mm-hmm. that means that the relationship was built upon this observation about their characters. Right. Yeah, I, that that one simple thing. That they are line. always honest with each other. I can other. lie and to I you. That I can lie to my friends. Right. I can't lie to myself, and I can't lie to Spike. And we see that yeah. later in later seasons, where Buffy doesn't lie to Spike because she never cares what he thinks. So he is always the one that she tells the truth to. Well, see, yeah. Well, we'll we'll have a lot of opportunity yeah. to talk about Spike later. Oh, yeah, I don't know to what degree she doesn't care what he thinks, mm-hmm. so never lies to him. And to what degree she knows that she can't lie to him. Yeah. So she, so chooses she doesn't to bother. Embrace, so she doesn't right. care what he thinks. Right. right. Mm-hmm. That, that, 
you know, he's going to see the truth anyway. So right. We mm-hmm. will talk about Buffy and Spike, of course, uh, long into the night mm-hmm. as, as we continue this brilliant journey through through Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, a couple of quick notes, yeah. I guess, that we should pull out before we talk a little about Willow. Mm-hmm. We have our nod to the mayor. Yeah. We see that he was aware of Spike back in school hard and that mm-hmm. he is continuing to orchestrate the safety of Sunnydale. Yeah. And also that there was something very special about this year. We have to that beat that, that uh, he's already sold his soul. That, yeah. that deal has already been made more mm-hmm. than once probably <laughs> um so we have all of this understanding of this growing threat in mm-hmm. sunnydale which is great and a complete and conspicuous absence of faith yeah apparently that rift between her and buffy at the end of the last episode is just going to is develop still there her. which yeah. is a nice it's a nice absence you know it is though again it's it's one of these things we have you know giles very casually saying well faith can take over as, as yeah. you know mm-hmm. the the slayer of the hellmouth or what is it buffy says that she can be miss sunnydale and the, and the slayer <laughs> <Miss Sunnydale. laughs> uh i would have liked maybe a nod toward well faith isn't yeah <laughs> you know, she's not exactly playing with us she's uh, yeah exactly but, you know yeah no, it, it works well mm-hmm. enough and there's there's a lot of of construction that's going to lead us toward our season-long arc but the really big one mm-hmm. is the very simple and barely observed fact here that willow turns first to magic yeah that willow is also serious business yeah you know exactly we're going we're foreshadowing of course most directly her mm-hmm. growth as a witch yeah um mm-hmm. we have the the witch pez dispenser kind of yeah calling that. Mm-hmm. and the brilliant moment with uh with joyce in the kitchen yeah <laughs> willow's a witch <laughs> xander's a witch, Xander's a witch. <laughs> uh, so we're foreshadowing that right. directly mm-hmm. but of course we're also seeing the seeds here of willow's well, complicated and destructive relationship yeah. with magic. In exactly the same way as we're seeing the seeds of, of Buffy's complicated and destructive relationship with Spike. Right. You could argue there's, <laughs> there's a, a certain mirroring going on there. But yeah, the fact that Willow turns turns to magic to solve a non-magical problem, turns to yeah. magic to to just fix a mundane problem right. that would be better addressed in a more direct and emotionally She turns to magic way. casually. Yeah. And, and the casual use of power is something in Buffy that is inherently corruptive. Oh, so yeah. you yeah. see that coming. You know, um, it's, it's a really interesting note in here. Yes. And it's true, I think. You know, we've had some correspondence about where Willow's magic storyline goes. Yeah. And while I agree... Mm-hmm. That there are parts of that story that are just dreadful. Yeah. Magic, uh, you know, as a metaphor for addiction, as a meta- magic as a metaphor, a, a metaphor for, for drugs, drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is is terrible. Yeah. Is just terrible throughout. And that stuff is is best ignored and avoided as much as mm-hmm. possible. But the far more important thematic concept of power being seductive, of power being addictive. Well, and the corruption of easy power. That yes. that when you go to power as a shortcut for dealing with, you know, regular Because that's what we're dealing with, yeah. with, with faith. That's mm-hmm. what we're dealing with, with magic throughout, you know, with, exactly. with all witches and ritual you magic. You have to respect power and use it appropriately exactly right. or it will take over. And uh, and I think that that is a really interesting uh, thematic place that we spend a fair amount of time with in Buffy. But it's mm-hmm. tough looking back at this episode and watching yeah. it again, knowing what's coming and, and feeling that chill. Because it's, it's so casual here. Yeah. And had we not... You know, do we not know what was coming? It's something that's easily missed. But sure, the the sure. casual way she turns to magic, which is seriously overpowered for her, just you know, overcoming her uh, her relationship with Xander, um, it is a little bit foreboding. Yeah, yeah, it really is. A ton of great stuff in this episode, not oh, yeah. just as a single episode of television, but looking forward to the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. There is a strong argument I think you can make that that this episode really sets out 
a thesis statement about what Buffy can be mm-hmm. in the future, that it's right. much less interested in the operatic scale of something like passion or something like becoming, mm-hmm. that it wants to be much more grounded in the tragedies of everyday relationships yeah. in, in mm-hmm. those much smaller exchanges and, and interplays. And that it's much more interested in shades of grey. Yeah. That we've all but rejected in the span of this episode. Perhaps this is something we should have talked about in the body of the podcast. Uh, the, the main body yes. of the podcast. <laughs> but we've all but rejected in this episode the idea that vampires are just inherently evil. Yeah. We're dealing with the whole notion of Spike as a creature in love. Mm-hmm. And that stands against, you know, some of the discussions that we had back in season two about whether is, is it possible for Spike to be in love with Drusilla? Is right. that actually a meaningful statement when you're talking about vampires? Well, here we learn. <laughs> But he is he is consumed by love, but it is by nature a selfish and immature love, which is something that... Well, it has we, selfish and immature consequence, but is his decision at the end of the episode to simply be the man he was, be the, be the vampire Be the monster he, he was, was yeah, yeah. And thereby win her back. Is that any different from Willow deciding that she's willing to grovel? I mean, you could argue that Spike's desire yeah, to win Drusilla by being himself... plan is to go himself, back and, and tie her up and torture her until no, she loves him. Again, that's the specific, that is a that's very the selfish, language. immature, you know... No, no, no. Because yeah. that's the... When he says about torturing her, mm-hmm. I took that to be that that is the language that she responds to. That he's not actually going to torment her. Yeah. He's going to show her why she loves him. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a kind of gross and icky and, and right. yes, were they human it, beings? I think it you would shows say it a, a very, predatory. you know, dark, dysfunctional, you know, right, but, I mean, color vampires. to their relationship. Well, exactly. But I mean, that's the kind of love that is maybe perhaps the highest level of love that a vampire without a soul is capable of. Wow. That's a conversation we'll return to. Yeah. It's an <laughs> interesting future. question. But I think that this episode really does in a number of ways kind of show us what Buffy can be mm-hmm. at its very best and show us that also barely a monster of the week. Yeah. You know, we have an A plot and a B plot, mm-hmm. but we don't really have a well, monster Spike of the week. Spike is our monster of the week. Well, in the sense that he is the complicating factor in he Sunnydale He is the this malevolent week, force yes. descending upon Sunnydale. But yes. he's not a monster of the week in the sense that he's an excuse for a fight scene and right. an easy mm-hmm. resolution. You know, mm-hmm. he's not, you know, a giant snake demon. He's a real character. Way. He's a yeah, real exactly. presence in the story. This yeah. is a step toward kind of Buffy as as drama, yeah. as, as soap opera, if you mm-hmm. like, you know, in the best possible right. uh, interpretation of that, of that phrase. Um, I really think that this is the template that we're going to see. Uh, yeah, this is a nice direction that we're headed in. The yeah. end of the show, yeah. It's really great stuff. And it. such an astonishing piece of work for... for oh, for somebody who is not even a staff writer. writer. Yeah. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Ugh. Did it feel like Whedon to you? It did. It felt <laughs> like Whedon, well, Noxon, Espenson. I couldn't remember who had written it, but I would have guessed one of those three. If yeah. you had not, not shown me and asked me to guess which one wrote it, I would guess one of those three. Or I maybe David Fury. But I yeah. don't know to what degree... I don't know to what degree the script was just as written and to yeah. what degree. Because, of course, all the scripts pass through Whedon's hands. Of course they you do. Know, right. They will be tightened up. They will be edited. They mm-hmm. will be changed. Sometimes entire scenes will be written and, by Whedon. And they are, to a certain degree, episode. written by com- Not written by committee, but planned. The, the stories committee, are broken yeah, yeah. by committee and the writer's room. So there is the influence of everybody on any particular episode. But as we've seen with other episodes that have been you know, written by the same group of people, that yeah. sometimes the, it doesn't work. 
And I think that a lot of it has to do with the particular genius of the person who's actually writing the episode. Oh, I think so too. And I don't know what happened to this guy, how they didn't nab him under the staff, what it was. I have no idea. But this is one of the best episodes of Buffy <laughs> written by a freelancer. This I is, just, I can't date, even believe it. The best episode the of Buffy. Best episode, and that's right. a hell of a thing. Yeah. Well, it has been a pleasure talking about it. Guys, as I said, next week, The Wish. And of course, you'll know that uh, next week we're introducing a very important character into the Buffy mythology. Oh, yes, we are. As well as speculating wildly about Buffy's role, about the nature of her responsibility, about the consequence of the Hellmouth. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's going to be a lot of of very high-level metaphysical talk in next week's Dusted. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a fun fun one. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Take care. We'll be back next week.